Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. All right. Thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Lee Sammartino. He is the founder of Iconic Tonic, um, really is connected brands like Apple, Lowe's, and multiple Fortune 1000 companies pushing the envelope of marketing. Thanks, Lee, for being on the show today. Can you please just go into the, your founder story, how you started Iconic Tonic, and then we'll go into like ways you've been able to create multiple streams of revenue within uh, your business. Sure. Well, thanks for uh, having me on first off. Uh, basically, at the foundational level, Iconic Tonic uh, connects brands and people through strategy, creative, uh, all the way through the execution. Uh, execution is the critical part of what we always uh, harp on and bring to the table. Um, my story is kind of unique. I grew up on the East Coast uh, in a residential and commercial development family. So construction was always my background. I knew architecture, uh, I knew design. Uh, but after I got out of college, I ended up landing in Southern California and didn't have a job. Uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but I was skydiving at that point, and I knew I wanted to do that. So I just went skydiving like last week. So. Oh, did you really? <laughs> you, how'd you like it? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, up in Oceanside because uh, I'm in San Diego as well. So Oceanside was fantastic, and yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy ride. You know, it's a great great drop zone. Great drop zone. I highly recommend anybody go there. So. Um, and it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, didn't, uh, didn't really want to want to work. So I was having too much fun skydiving, uh, but then funds started drying up and, uh, parents ultimately cut me off. So I tried working within the industry and, uh, ended up meeting, uh, the chief operations officer from the extreme sports channel out of the UK. And, uh, he asked if I wanted to be on the launch team for the United States to launch a 24 seven action sports television channel. Uh, and I had no experience, but he was willing to, to take a chance on me. And so I worked with them for, uh, for about two years until, uh, that became the soft launch for fuel TV. And I was offered a job, but I had to move to LA and that just wasn't on the table. And so I figured I'd stay in the entertainment industry in San Diego, which back in 2000, and even now realize, you know, there's really not an entertainment industry in San Diego, so to speak, not like there is in LA. And, uh, so ended up falling back on what my roots were, which was construction. And I ended up with a retail company that built stores and did logistics and merchandising and installation uh, around the United States for various retailers. And ultimately what that was, was uh, connecting what that brand experience was uh, in the physical environment. You know, back then iPhones didn't exist. Uh, technology was really at its infancy. And uh, so they hired me on uh, basically to manage all of their, their national uh, and international projects. So from there, I uh, worked with them for about three or four years until I started, you know, consulting on my own. And I realized that I wanted to be back at more of the design side of things, uh, not so much on the execution side. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, 
having to stay up all night, manage crews, then work all day. Right. Uh, so what we ended up doing was uh, ended up building out a network of my own contractors, uh, started building stores, but really kind of concentrated on what it meant to integrate the brand message in with the physical environment. Well, come 2008, the retail economy crashed, uh, you know, everything went upside down. And I realized that I kind of had to reinvent myself. Um, though I had a background in design, I didn't necessarily know how to use all of the tools. Uh, though I knew how to brand and market, I didn't necessarily understand um, the omni omni touch point, uh, omni channel uh, marketing and branding mm -hmm. uh, in the space, especially as it was evolving into digital, right? Right. And so I hunkered down, went back to school and, um, you know, learned how to code, uh, learn design. Starting a business in, right after 2008, like. It was horrible. <laughs> it was, it was probably, then, I couldn't. You know you what know, they say, it's a great time though. You know, everyone says it's a, the best time to start a business is during a recession, right? Well, that's why, I mean, it ultimately prepared me for what's going on right now. Um, you know, you, you talk about the word pivot. It forced me to pivot right now, um, especially, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, three months ago, it was one of those things where half my clients just went poof up in smoke. And yeah. what do you do? You know, you have to, you, you can't just, you know, hunker down. You've got to pivot. Uh, you've got to go where the money is. Uh, and that's, that's really kind of the hardest thing that I see right now is there's a lot of people that, don't necessarily have the ability or haven't been through what 2008 taught me. And so their ability to pivot and shift like that, especially to a different industry or a different vertical or a different position. I, I think that, that honestly, 2008 kind of saved me personally where I am now. Right. It's pan resilience, right? Like you went through that time where it, was, it wasn't easy. So you never expected it to be easy, right? Cause it wasn't. And then you go through this great time of, you know, leisure and there's the business, the market's great and everything's phenomenal. I'm sure you had a really, really good 2019. And then this happens and you're like, oh, okay, 2008 again. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, so it just, you, you learn that in entrepreneurship, it's, you know, it's unstable and that's just the nature of business and the ones that survive are the ones that can adapt. So, so, so with Iconic Tonic specifically, um, is there a certain kind of like any kind of clientele or any kind of brand you kind of just like help structure their um their marketing strategy and how they're connecting with their customers and and just like you know think out think outside the box kind of uh ways and and that's like a, your mainstream of revenue yeah I, I would say strategy it always comes down to that uh, the one thing that i was always taught in an early age from my father is people are people and yeah. if you can't uh cater to them and their individual wants and needs uh but take that on a macro level uh, there's no way you're going to succeed. It doesn't matter how great the mousetrap is. So I've always taken that to heart and everything always starts with, you know, the human element uh, right. because at the end of the day, the business doesn't matter without us. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't mean us iconic tonic. I mean, you know, us as humans. So I would say that we start, start really at, at the deep dive level with strategy. Um, a lot of, you know, and it's really an intangible that clients don't technically like to pay for, but it's also the side of it that allows everything else to happen. You know, it's the foundational right. element that it's allows them. Mm -hmm. It's very important, you know, but you can't get so immersed in the strategy that the execution can't happen either. Uh, so, you know, whenever we design a project, we look to the end user that is actually going to be uh, implementing and executing the project. So, for instance, if it's a technology program, uh, the user experience has to be simple enough so that a two-year-old can use it. Otherwise, you're going to lose people. 
uh, if it's a retail program that we design and say it's a fixture rollout. Those fixtures have to be simple enough to uh, not inhibit uh, stores being open, uh, to be able to have the guys in the field, uh, which, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, that's what they do. But, you know, you got to make it simple enough for them to be able to roll store to store to store. So whatever we do on the one side, we make sure that it is easily implementable and executable on the other side. So you're reaching, you're reaching out to a company or a brand and you're saying basically what is your current, you know, way that you're connecting with this clientele on this project. And then you're designing a strategy in a way that you can implement that. And then you're using your team to execute that project. Correct. I mean, we look at the pain points too. Everybody's got them. We have them. I'm sure you have them. And uh, what we try to do is we try to bring solutions to the table uh, and whatever it might, I mean, we all have a common set of problems. Budget is always one of them. I mean, it would be nice to have an unlimited budget. It just, you know, unfortunately doesn't exist. Um, but when we start in on a project, we really kind of want to get to know uh, the people that we're working with uh, because you always end up, whether it's a small team or a large team, you know, there's always personalities that, that are involved and the success and failure of the project hinges not only on the, on the consumer side of it, but also on the brand side of it and people that are working on the project. So, you know, we try to really understand operationally um, any type of bottlenecks uh, we might run into, um, understanding the personalities, you know, we all have our, our personal issues, um, you know, and so it's, it's really kind of difficult, you know, when you walk into 10 different companies and they all have different cultures, different ways of operating right. and whatnot. So we try to, back to your point, uh, we have, you know, specific criteria we go in with, but it always starts of uh, with, you know, who are they? Uh, what sets of issues do they have? Uh, what are the needs of their audience? And then how do we bridge that gap? Yeah, it sounds like that response would be super broad uh, and it could mean so many different things. So how have, you, how have you been able to execute those things and then create revenue streams? Because it sounds like there are so many different things that you could do based upon the needs of the company um, and not every marketing company can do everything. I've, I have different marketers that have been on the show that are focused on funnels, other, other marketers, they focus on, you know, WordPress development and marketing other funnel, <clears throat> other marketers, they use, you know, influencer marketing, and they've created revenue streams that way. What is your kind of main focus or that you've seen as the most common thing that you've done for brands? So the irony of it is all of the above. And the reason I say that is because we not only handle it from a strategic level, but we partner with companies like those uh, to be able to execute the global strategy. And, the reason is, is that those companies, you know, for us to have that internally would be absolutely impossible. You know, we'd be a behemoth, right? But right. that doesn't mean that we can operate in a vacuum and think that, you know, our way can can operate in this in a silo. It just doesn't just doesn't work. So what we do is we know that all of these stakeholders uh, internally, externally, as well as other companies, they're always going to be involved in the mix. So it's how do we work with them to further what our strategy that we're going to bring to the table with the client is going to work and be able to be executed. Yeah, it's super smart. Um, so is that kind of the way that you've d developed the company over the years is through connections with other brands, other individuals that do certain kinds of things. And then you're reading, meeting with the brand and you're saying, okay, what do you need? And then I'm going to go and I'm going to hunt the field and I'm going to find these individuals that can do this for you. And the best way I'm going to manage the entire project. And then from that, you take a, you know, a commission or some kind of rev share kind of percentage for help guiding that project along. 
Well, that's one way it could it could be done. Uh, the other, um, a lot of other times, we walk into a situation where those companies already exist and they already have the relationships um, with with the brand, uh, and we walk in there and, and we just we're an add on. Uh, you know, they they bring us in, and we don't want to disrupt the Apple Cart, but we work with them also to understand you know what pitfalls and deficiencies that they've seen in programs and what you know we all have our successes and our failures. And what, what are those? Why did the programs fail? You know, do we have the data? Do we have the metrics? Do we have any analytics we can look at and review? You know, all those are, are critical factors when we're walking into any type of scenario. And, you know, that's the hardest thing is, you know, working with smaller businesses, uh, a lot of them just don't have that data available. You know, right. so you're, you're, you know, you're trying to, you know, swim through the weeds and, and figure out, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, ultimately a hard sell at that level because when you're talking to anybody that doesn't have the data or necessarily that type of in-depth experience. And they say, well, you know, we tried Facebook advertising and it didn't work. Or, you know, we tried Instagram advertising, it didn't work. We tried building our following, nobody listened. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what are those things that you did? Because you know that people are doing it and you know that they're actively making it work. So mm-hmm. there's got to be some deficiency in the positioning or the messaging or the execution that's not working for them. Wow. So, so you're bringing in and you're really like, I mean, kind of what you said, like thinking outside the box, pushing the envelope with marketing, you're taking that entire strategy, looking over it and trying to almost reinvent it. So that way it can, you know, do the thing that they're initially planning for, which is super powerful. If someone isn't, someone doesn't have a a company like Iconic Tonic going in there and doing that, people can be in a rut or they can keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again without producing the result they want, which we all know is the definition of insanity. Right. Uh, Been there. So, um, so that's fantastic. And getting these large brands, uh, you know, how, how have you been able to connect with these larger brands like Lowe's and Apple and things? You know, I've been doing this for so long. I just, you know, there's, you just meet people. Uh, and when you start, you know, operating and executing at a certain level, you just, I, I would say the hardest part was actually getting used to dealing at that level. Um, but I was exposed to it through a company in the early days that was already just operating at that level. Um, so I didn't really know any different. Uh, you know, when I got out of college, I didn't go and work for a small mom and pop shop. I worked for, you know, a television channel that was in 80 countries that was looking to launch in the United States. Yeah, exactly. I didn't, I never was exposed and maybe it was, you know, to my, my detriment over the years, I was never exposed to something small. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, Every, every listen, small, large. Uh, everybody's got their problems. You know, from my perspective, it's just understanding how to find solutions to those problems. Exactly. My my perspective actually is, or I guess I have a really good question is, you know, you're working with these larger brands, and you said about fifty percent of your kind of client base dropped off. Is it because these brands just they had to change the way that they're marketing or the strategies that they were utilizing weren't effective, um, or what was the reason for the majority of those people to kind of like? shift and then how have you been able to like like we talked about like pivot or adapt to that kind of change sure so uh, when when the pandemic hit a lot of the uh programs 50 percent of them that we had were actual execution programs inside of retail environments uh, we we're handling logistics uh shipping inventory management uh we we're handling installation uh of you know the fixtures store windows things along those lines and what ended up happening was when this hit everybody hunkered down, um, you know, and they just said, Hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to put a hold on it. Well, the thing with the retail industry is it's, it's a seasonal thing. Uh, you know, you have your, you know, your spring, summer, fall, winter lines. Uh, so once that program goes away, it's not like it's just pushed off a couple of months, it's done. 
Um, you know, so what we saw was that was done, but then, you know, retailers kind of said, okay, we're going to pull back a little bit. We're going to handle everything internally within our stores, uh, let our employees manage as much as we can. And then what we'll do is we'll revisit, you know, uh, things for Q3. Well, now that we're, you know, approaching everything, RFPs, are being pulled, you know, projects are being canceled and retailers are still, you know, in hospitality, you see it in the restaurant industry, it's still unsure, um, you know, and so what we ended up having to do was, uh, again, to your word, pivot, um, we had to pivot and, and look at who was the most insulated and not affected by this. Okay. Uh, obviously, retail, hospitality, uh, those industries are just adversely affected, Um uh, good friends of mine run large hotel chains and whatnot. It, they were laid off, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where we said, okay, well, where, where is the money? Where is the work? Uh, so what I did is I started calling venture capitalists that I know and, uh, you know, it asked them, you know, do you have any, you know, early stage growth stage companies that you've invested in uh, that could use our services? Uh, started dialing for dollars, got some work there. Um, started, um, thankfully position ourselves uh, last year to be more actively involved in biotech and pharma, um, which allowed us to work through uh, a couple of different agencies uh, because ultimately that, that wasn't our experience. You know, that, that yeah. wasn't what we did. I have but a at biotech individual that really invests in biotech companies and that you would be perfect for. So what's great is <clears throat> you've been able to identify where the money is, create revenue streams within that, and then really just shift. It's not like those previous clients just like evaporated. They're just in a they're just in this phase where they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we keep going through this into this like kind of new normal? And that is essentially entrepreneurship down to the wire. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's funny. My wife uh, is a publicist for literary and uh, books exploded in an instant. Her business went whew, Wow. straight up. And, and it was fascinating to watch the industries that were really adversely affected. And it was horrible to watch at the same time. And those that you just didn't really think would explode like that. Uh, authors of hers were coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, we need to reinvigorate this book. We need to relaunch publicity campaigns. We need to do this, that. We need to up our social media game. And uh, she, she just saw an instant upswell in what she does. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of different industries that have just been birthed out of this whole um, change. So what is, so is your focus right now, um, you know, biotech companies and what is the main thing that you're kind of, you're heavy into um, so that we, our audience can maybe, you know, I identify you as an individual that can help um, that company. Sure. Um, you know, ultimately right now we're, we're, a lot on the technology side of it. Um, we're doing a lot of software integration, um, bridging a lot of uh, disparate data sources uh, through middleware. Uh, we're building a lot of uh, uh, user-facing uh, experiences for clients. Uh, we're doing a lot of design uh, inside of the biotech and pharma world right now. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. It, it's 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 creatively a different industry because, you know, you look at, you know, the, the companies like Google, Apple, uh, you look at retail, everybody's always kind of pushing the creative envelope with what they can do. Right. Um, but, you know, pharma and biotech is really kind of hamstrung a lot of ways because of, of regulations, you know, regulatory bodies and whatnot. So, you know, coming into that, it, it was a little difficult of a learning process because it's like, you know, Hey, let's do this. Like, Oh, you really can't do that. Right. So, you know, it took, 
three or four years to kind of get through and, and weird way through that. But now we're working uh, uh, on a lot of uh, biotech and pharma projects. We're meeting a lot more clientele. Uh, it was a little rough because, uh, again, we didn't have uh, the clinical uh, regulatory or the pharmaceutical background. So really kind of had to deep dive and, and really understand the industry. But what we're able to do is because of our understanding of the way that we operate, we're able to uh, increase efficiencies, um, decrease operational costs and overhead uh, that were involved in campaigns. One, and I'm not going to say that this is is every single case, uh, but the program was was millions of dollars and we were able to bring it down into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's fantastic. So it, and it's just one of those things is, is my belief is that the new um, shift in what a, a uh, employee or a worker or an executive does is going to be more roll up the sleeve. Like you're not going to be defined by a specific job position. I think you're going to have to truly be uh, omnidimensional within the organization and understand how your role truly affects every other part of it in order to be an effective asset to the organization. It's actually, uh, you know, it sounds like you have a great mind for that industry because, you know, thinking out of the box, like pushing the envelope of certain marketing strategies and trying to do things that normally wouldn't be done are the ways that you have that crazy, like phenomenal growth, right? So they kind of need someone that's like you to go in there and reinvent the wheel, you know, um, so, you know, so to say, but, you know, having all that previous background in all these other different companies really kind of is, is, is quite beneficial. Are there any biotech companies that maybe our listeners would know that, um, that you, that you're currently working with? There are, but I'm not allowed to say <laughs> <laughs> Of course, have, all the regulations. <laughs> they, well, they have, they have strict, strict confidentiality yeah. agreements, uh, really it. strict ones. Uh, Apple's confidentiality, confidentiality agreement was about that thick. Wow. Theirs are thicker. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's really, and it's, and I don't blame them. I mean, you know, when it yeah. costs $2.6 billion to bring an asset to market, they don't want to, you know, release that confidential information. Definitely. Um, so is there anyone that you maybe uh, would want to work with right now, any of our listeners uh, or anyone that you're looking for to kind of further a project? Um, and so that way they make it, they can reach out to you. Uh, I would love to work with the New England Patriots. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay. So if, if they're listening and they hear this, um, they have been, uh, since I was two years old, I went to my first game and, uh, it's going to kill me if Tom Brady plays them in the uh, Super Bowl. But <laughs> so I'll also work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, you know, like I said, um, it's all about uh, connections and brands. You know, it's, it's, we, we bridge that omni-channel experience. Um, you know, so if it's technology, if it's just strategy, um, if you're having trouble thinking through, you know, how you're going to bring a product to market, um, you know, that's where, that's where we really fit in. We help you think through these things. Uh, but we also have the internal resources to be able to execute on those. Um, you know, it, it might not be necessarily within our organization, but it could be, you know, another company that we work with, you know, you have a specific problem. We bring them to the table and help manage the entire process. Very cool. I love it, Lee. So how do they contact you um, if they need to, um, you know, utilize your services and your, and your brand? Sure. They can go to iconictonic.com and that's I-K-O-N-I-C, tonic, T-O-N-I-C.com. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Lee San Martino. Um, and those are, those are pretty much the best ways. Uh, my email address is Lee at iconictonic.com. And, uh, I love working with people. I mean, it's fun. I mean, you know, you reached out to me on LinkedIn and here we are. 
Yep. Love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the way to go guys. Um, <laughs> Hey, so if you guys want to reach out, reach out to Lee and iconic tonic, if you, if you have a biotech company and you want to have kind of the individual that to reach out to them, definitely, um, connect. And, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Lee, and we'll hopefully we'll connect and, uh, have you on the show a little bit later on this year. Awesome. Thanks a lot. You have a good day. Thanks for listening to the iSmart podcast show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.